The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant. Focusing on women on Women's Day. And it is uh, our book feature. And this is where we like to look at books, but uh, in all sorts of forms and spaces. There are so many great female authors. The list just goes on and on and on. Anki Kroch, Virginia Woolf, Toni Morrison, Bessie Head, Zadie Smith, Lauren Bukas, Chima Manda, Ngozi Adichie. The list continues. And I mean, I could just carry on. I was thinking about what are some of the great books by female writers that I've read, perhaps even in the last year. And someone who I had thought was absolutely phenomenal was Bernadine Evaristo. She is the author of a book called Girl, Woman, Other, and uh, we've reviewed it here on the show. British writer, but uh, a really, really, really exciting writer who was uh, who shared the um, the award for the Booker Prize last year with Margaret Atwood. I'm, I'm not even sure she should have shared it, but I suppose that um, that that was just the way things went. But she really was an extraordinary, extraordinary winner with an extraordinary book. This is her talking about uh, representation in literature at the Booker Prize event. We need to see ourselves reflected in the society we're living in. We need to see ourselves in literature. You know, literature is one of the best ways, I think, of exploring human behaviour, human psychology, um, human experience. And if we don't see the specificity of our experiences as women who are black and British, then I think there's, a, there's an absence and there's, a, there's, there's something lacking in us. Literature that works speaks to our humanity and hopefully that's what this book is doing. So hopefully it is helping people understand and create empathy um, about people they're not necessarily coming into contact with or have an understanding of. Bernadine Evaristo, she's the author of Girl, Woman, Other. She's written many a book, but uh, that was the one which won the Booker Prize in 2019. Go check it out. Look for it. See if you can, in fact, find it and read it. You have to. On the line with us, we have our guest, who is none other than Mako Sazana Zaba. She's an anthologist, an essayist, a short story writer, a poet, a research associate at Wiser. She is a generalist with her finger in many, many pies. Mako Sazana, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you for having me, Michelle. <laughs> I mean, I look at that list and I'm like, okay, which one, which one do you think best represents you? <laughs> It's, it's, it's the combination of all of them yeah. because I really am not married to one genre. I love that. I love exploring the whole range. So, and each one gives me a different kind of kick, if you like. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Did you read Bernadine Evaristo's Girl, Woman, Other? Not yet. Not yet. It's on my to-do list. Fantastic. You've got to read it. I think you'll find it. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. She's a wonderful, wonderful author. I'm going to put you on the spot again because I did ask our producer uh, if you had a poem as a poet that you could read as part of Women's Day. Oh, um, yes. She didn't tell me that. Let me see if I can get my book. Okay, let's uh, let's not put you on the spot then too much. I thought she had actually already sent that to you. So let's go um, right in. You are working on a biography at the moment um, of Noni Jabavu. Tell us a little bit about that. 
I have been working on this biography for, for a very long time. And the reason I started was because when I found her book in a secondhand bookstore in Melville yeah. in 2001, I was just shocked that I had never heard her name. And yeah. the reason I was, I was shocked was because I'm a reader. I'm, a, I'm an avid reader. So I get the book, I read it, and then it speaks to me in ways that I hadn't expected. It was as if she was showing me my parents' lives. Yeah. Though she was born in 1919 and both my parents were born in 1929, there was a way in which I could relate. I could see them. Yeah. As young people. I mean, we see our parents as old people and we don't quite connect. We, we can't imagine them being young. So that's what that book did. And I thought, wow, this is amazing. So it sat next to my bed for a very, very long time. And this was before I started doing my master's in creative writing. So come first semester in 2004, the prof gives us an assignment to write the story, to to write an essay on a day in the life of. And in 2002, Noni had returned to South Africa, straight from Harare into East London, into a free care center. So when we had to write a day in the life of, I thought, of course I'm going to write about Noni. And that's when I started realizing how little information there was on her in South Africa. Because when I first found the book, I just thought it was me because I'm I'm not a literary scholar. I'm just a lover of books. (laughs) And now I'm a writer. (laughs) So... I started doing some research and it became very clear to me that I wasn't going to be able to write her story if I didn't travel because she was out of South Africa for six decades at least. Wow. She left in 1933 as a 13-year-old to go to high school. And then she goes to high school in New York. And when she finishes high school, she starts university. And when she starts university, World War II begins. And so that's how her university plans were torn apart, World War II, everybody's lives is thrown into uh, chaos. So she ends up not coming back to South Africa to live, but visits on and off over the years, and then finally comes to stay in 2002, and finally dies in 2008. So that's what I've been trying to unearth, the story of her life in the many countries, the work that she has done, trying to bring it back to South Africa so that people know about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a very long you know, journey. <laughs> you know, Makosazana, it's so interesting listening to you because you raise so many different things. I'm going to take you right back to the idea of um, uh, representing the life of your parents in many ways when they were young and that it's hard to imagine that. We do, we're, we're terribly ageist in our society. Um, you kind of reach a certain age and then that's it. And I wonder if part of this conversation is about saying, you know, there's a whole world that gets forgotten so quickly and so easily. Oh, completely, completely. I mean, I don't know if you heard about a book that uh, came out in May this year called Malibongwe. Yes. Poems from the Struggle by ANC Women. That book was first published in 1981. Yeah. It's in South Africa for the first time. It's in, it's, there's a South African edition for the first time. It's over 40 years ago. And when you look at the names of the women who had written those poems, 
if you didn't know them before, you just think, oh my gosh, were you even capable of writing a poem? Because that's how ageist our society is. Yeah, we think poetry so, belongs to the youth. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Poet, poetry, thinking, being alive is about being young, you know? Yeah. <laughs> So untrue. Makosazana, you know, I've, I was interested in like reading your extensive, extensive CV and all the books and that you have engaged with. And also that you were, um, you edited Queer Africa in 2013. Yes. And then you worked with Karen Martin, the fantastic Karen Martin on selected stories in 2018. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, it was an amazing process. I was approached by Karen for the first um, Queer Africa book that came out in 2013. Yeah. And she had, because she was sitting on the board of the Gay and Lesbian Archive, and they were thinking that they'd been doing a lot of research-based work, and it was time to go into fiction, you know? Yeah. And then they thought, okay, let's do this book. So she approached me and I said, of course I'll work with you. So it was an interesting process. We had an, um, a call for submissions out, and then yeah. people submitted, and then we sat down, we selected, and then we worked individually with the authors, because what we're interested in is bringing in aspirant authors, people who had not been published before, uh, yeah. with people who already have published. So if you go through the book, you will see, for instance, that there are stories that had appeared in other anthologies, like Jambula Tree like uh, Silodaika's uh, chapter, yeah. like, um, yeah. So we wanted to have that kind of combination, but it was an interesting project because we hadn't seen a continental version of queer stories in fiction yeah. until 2013. And then it goes and wins an award, which was amazing. <laughs> Do you think yeah. that, uh, that, that, it's, that, that um, when we look at something like, for example, Women's Day today, that perhaps the conversation is quite exclusionary. If uh, we look at um, something, if we look at LGBTQI plus and the like. Mm-hmm. Do you think that... Sorry, uh, I missed the question. Yeah, so, so the question is, does uh, Women's Day is include LGBTQI or do you think that the narrative often excludes it? Well, it depends on, 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 on where you're sitting with the narrative because yeah. they, they, they are, if we're talking about activists or academics, whatever group of people we're talking about, yeah. it depends on their orientation. I, for instance, used to work in an NGO that we used to call the Women's Health Project. Yes. And for us at that time in the 90s, it was important to include lesbian women in our organization because the issue was around health. Yep. So it really depends on the orientation of the people. When I say orientation this time, I mean political orientation of people who are doing the work. But also we know that any group that is marginalized, at least this is my view, it's important for it to be by itself, to work out its issues on its own. Yeah to have that freedom, to have that safety, to have that, the confidences that you need around that, and then also to spread out when you feel the need to. Yeah. So if you're talking from within or you're talking from without, those are also the dynamics that you need to take into consideration. So when you 
pose a broad question like that, my response is, what are we talking about exactly? Yeah, okay, I hear you. Mm. So, mm. My, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about it with regards to, I must say, maybe as I said to someone a bit earlier, maybe I got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. But I, <laughs> I, I, look, at, I look at something like uh, Women's Day and I think, Women's Day, Women's Day, you know what I mean? It, it doesn't feel to me, you mentioned words like freedom, safety, etc. It doesn't feel to mm. me like those have been addressed. We are still looking mm. at extraordinarily excessive levels of gender-based violence in this country. And it feels mm-hmm. like, as a woman, I feel like, what, do I have to stand up again and say, enough is enough, hashtag enough is enough. You know, exactly. so maybe for I me, mean, yeah, go for it. No, I was going to say, yeah, that's a big problem that we, we have to approach in particular ways because as a 63-year-old who was an activist in her 20s, I remember the days when we were insisting that we needed to even remember that there was the year 1956 because yeah. it wasn't on the political agenda. Yeah. So over time... It, it, you know, all the activism that was happening in the country and then come 1990, 1994, and we finally get it on the agenda. We used to be on the streets so that people can remember that there was a year 1956. Yeah. So things change and things stay the same. Yeah, so I see. while a lot has changed in terms of a Makosovana being able to write, finding publishers who are willing to publish her work. Yeah. But the same Makosazana cannot step, the same Makosazana has been bitten on her own driveway at five o'clock in the morning by two young men. And yeah. she nearly lost an eye. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a question of how do you work with time and change? And how do we take responsibility in changing what we can change and impacting where we can impact? Because we all come with different gifts. Your yeah. role in media is different to somebody's role who can speak to a Cyril Ramaphosa, for instance. Yeah. And Marco Sazana's role who can tell a story that a child in Nongoma will relate to. That's a different role. Yeah. And a different mm. gift as well. Yeah. Exactly. And then the men who need to take responsibility by doing by leaving us alone, need to stand up and leave us alone. Yeah. Because one of the things that really irritates me when men who are supposedly politically savvy say, but what must I do? My answer to them is just leave women alone. When a woman passes, don't say a word. You know? Yeah. Just, they must just leave us alone first and foremost. And then take responsibility for their actions in whatever they do, in the relationships that they have, with their colleagues, with their partners, with their family members, because they make it seem like it's a difficult thing when, in fact, we know that people with privilege have difficulty letting go of their privilege. Yep, yep. Marco Susanna, we, do, we have to go to a break, and I don't want to. I've got more that I want to ask you, so we're not going to leave you yet. But let's go to the break, and uh, when we come back, I want you to suggest a couple of women's books that, uh, or women's authors that people could read right now. And we do, of course, want to get one of those poems from you. 
The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant. She's on the line with us, Makosazana Zaba. She is an anthologist, an essayist, a, a research associate at Wiser, and uh, her series of books, collections of poems is long and uh, could take me a while to read it. So I'm of the opinion that uh, go out and read as much as you possibly can about her. Makosazana, if you were going to say to someone, here's a great female writer, apart from yourself, who would you suggest? Okay. We seem to have lost Makosazana Zaba which is a pity because uh, she is one of those people who has a wealth of knowledge and information at hand, including uh, uh, three collections of poetry, one collection of short stories, six anthologies on a range of different genres, and most recently uh, the book Our Words, Our Worlds, which is uh, writing on black South African women poets, 2000 to 2018. Mokosazana, you're back on the line. Yes, I'm back. <laughs> I'm re- you, I feel like you might be breathing hard because you probably felt like you had to rush off and go and get a poetry book, come back, think about yes, something. I <laughs> <laughs> I'm really, really sorry. Um, first of all, before so to take a breath, if you were going to suggest um, some good reading for someone, someone says, you know what, I'm going to spend the rest of the year just reading uh, female mm. authors. Who would you put into that pot and stir up? Here's what I would suggest. Individual women writers. Volume. There are four okay, wait, writing uh, Africa. I'm going to ask you to just move around a bit. Your line is getting a bit quirky. So. Uh-huh. I was saying that I, I, I wouldn't want to suggest individual writers. Yeah. And I'll explain why at the end. Brilliant. I would want to suggest six volumes. The four volumes are called Women Writing Africa. And there's the Northern Region, the Western Region, the Eastern Region, and Brilliant. the Southern Region. Yep. And then I want to suggest two volumes. The one is called Daughters of Africa. That came out in 19... came out last year in 2019. It's called The New Daughters of Africa. And here's the reason why. These volumes excavate the writings of women from way back brilliant until the time they were published so what you get from when you read that you you get a sense of a range of women's writing their names their countries the things they were writing about uh, this volume that i'm talking about has anything from letters to people in power to personal poetry to fiction to this to that so what that does for me if you if you do that reading thoroughly, you get a sense of who these women are over decades. And then you can follow the individuals that you like. Because if I'm recommending individuals, it's just the ones that I like. But I think it's important to have that archive, if you like. For me, it feels like this precious archive that I have when I think West Africa who do I not know about? I go into the volume from West Africa and then I Lovely. read yeah. about women writing in West Africa. So that's so it's what almost I'd like an to intro- It's an introduction to writers of the continent, and from there you can take it from uh, there you can take it to yeah. the individual, etc. 
Yeah, what? because now we have the luxury of these books. When I was younger, there was there were no books like this. Yeah, I was scavenging, trying to find <laughs> things everywhere, doing the my own connections, and now they are compiled in volumes. So that's where I would recommend people start if they haven't begun. Start and develop your taste. Yes, Mokosazana, we've asked you to read a poem. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to read a poem whose context is the following. Ten years after democracy, people were talking a lot about how little had changed. For yeah. There was a sense, as I listened to people talking, that people were not celebrating. They were focusing on the negative. So that's how this poem was born. I wanted to focus on what was positive ten years after democracy, and I called it Summer. Lovely. And you will hear how women come through. And I call it summer because it's my best season (laughs) of the year. Summer. This is the summer of things we can touch. Snaking cues that lead from further than the eyes can see to terminate at a ballot box. It's summer. It is a summer of black children in buses and kundis on avenues, paths, Roads and streets, numerous like ants, going to school. It is a summer of colorful houses along major roads and highways, and a summer of women in high places making meaning. It is a summer of songs composed in blood, tuned with guns, and arranged in conversations. It is a summer of songs I sing in swelling volumes. Thus, is the summer of things we can touch. Mm. You the know end. what? I just I just rolled from the wrong side of the bed to the right side of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> Marcos Azana, thank you so much. That's a wonderful uh, poem to end the conversation with. I do have one more question very briefly. There's a Japanese mm-hmm. word which you may know. It's called tsundoku. And what it does is mm-hmm. it means buying books and then letting them pile up unread. And they usually pile up beside the bed and then they just grow and grow and grow and then that pile shifts slightly to the study. And you find that you have to constantly work your way through that pile, but you never get to the bottom of it. Are you a Tsundoko mm-hmm. person? No. No. I'm the kind of no, I'm the kind of person who because I, I now write, I read books that relate to the writing project that I'm working on. Yeah. So I might have three, four, or even five books, but it's because they are focused on the writing project that I'm working on. And when that project is done, those books move back to the shelves and the next set of books come out. So it's only in December that I read fun, just for fun, something that's not related to what I'm writing. So you're a very organ... move from one book to the next, one book to the next. You're an organized reader. Yes, because writing is organized. Well, of course, Zana Zaba, thank you so much for joining us uh, and inspiring us on a Sunday morning. It's exactly what we needed. Nine o'clock, it's time for the news. Good morning.